Let's go ahead and start with a prayer. God, we thank you so much for this morning and our time together. God, I pray for this time in the Word that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, that we will encounter you in, in, in new and fresh ways. God, as we enter into this story, we pray that uh, we will hear your voice and that you will uh, challenge us and that we will grow through this time. God, we pray that you will just eliminate the distractions and the stresses and the pressures of the world that are on us and that we will uh, engage with you in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have uh, never been much of a pool player, um, and it could be because of the great philosopher uh, Professor Harold Hill, who once said that trouble has come to River City, and trouble starts with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. So pool is obviously a sinner's game, and so stay away from pool. Um, here's uh, Professor Harold Hill. I didn't have good notes. So fa favorite, favorite science. For, for those of you who are not musical theater fans, I'm sorry. Um, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just had to throw it in there. So musical theater aside, pool is one of those games uh, that uh, takes a lot of skill for most, if you're doing it correctly. Um, it takes some precision. It takes some goal setting where you have to actually say where you're going to place that ball, which pocket it's going to go into, and then you have to do what you said you were going to do. Uh, my philosophy of playing pool is hit it as hard as, it can, as you can and let it bounce around, and chances are surely it will go into one of the nine pockets, right? Uh, not really the correct way to play it. The, the professionals will say, I'm going to place this one in the corner pocket, and they actually make it into the corner pocket. Uh, and for me, that's not how I play. And so how confident are you in your ability to uh, use a, a stick and these balls that are on this green felt and get this into the place that it needs to go? Uh, can you confidently declare that this is what's going to happen as I play this game? What about your belief system? What about the things that you have faith in? Can you confidently declare that Jesus is the Christ, the risen Savior? Can you confidently declare that? Or are you more in the line of, I declare that I think I want it to go there, but it's going to bounce around and maybe eventually go there. And when faced with those critical times, will it test your faith to really show what your faith lies in? And so today we get to this story of Lazarus. We're in our series on the Gospel of John, and, and we're trying to understand who God is through Jesus. And, and we see Jesus, and we experience Jesus through the Gospel of John, and he's pointing us to a belief in God. And we get to chapter 11 where we have the story of Lazarus. And spoiler alert, he dies. I know. We get to the story and he dies. But Jesus raises him from the dead. 
And so we have this story here where we think that Lazarus is the main character, but Lazarus really isn't the main character. Instead, I think the main, story, main character of the story is more Martha. We're going to talk a little bit about Martha. And poor Martha, she gets a bit of a bad reputation from other stories where she's the one who is busy in the kitchen, keeping herself occupied with the work and not sitting at the feet of Jesus. And for those of us who are very task-oriented and busy, Martha is used as this derogatory term for us. But Martha in this story is actually the hero of the story because she makes these incredible confessions of faith. Confessions of faith that nobody else in the story are really ready to make. The story of Lazarus is this seventh and final sign in what is called the book of signs in John. The, the first, first 12 chapters of John are called the book of signs, where we see these seven different encounters. We've gone through a few of them, but we've skipped several of them. The first one is changing water to wine in chapter 2. We've got the healing of the royal official's son in chapter 4. We've got the healing of the para, uh, paralytic in chapter, in five, chapter 5. Feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, Jesus walking on water, healing the man born blind, and now we get to raising Lazarus from the dead. And all of these signs are pointing to who Jesus is. But in each of these signs, in each of these miracles, we don't necessarily have people coming to faith because of these miracles. Many witness them, but there are those who still do not believe. And the story of Lazarus is no different. The story of Lazarus's empty tomb also helps us to see the story of Jesus. It anticipates Jesus's empty tomb. And as, as the seventh story or the seventh sign that we see in John, there's this biblical number seven that is, is the number for completion. And so we get to the completion of the book of signs and it is a resurrection story pointing us to the resurrection of Jesus. And so as we encounter Lazarus, as we go through this story, there is this great sense of life and hope that we experience in, in the raising of this man from the dead. But there is also intertwined in this story this, this sense of dread and doom as we think about Jesus' coming death as well. And the story unfolds in this reverse order from the previous stories we've gone through. We, we usually see a miracle, and then Jesus talks about the miracle. But in this case, we're going to see Jesus talking to the people and, and teaching the people and spending time with the people. And then the miracle happens at the very end of the story, as the, as the very climax of what's going on here. And Jesus, or John wants his readers and he wants us to really comprehend what's going on here as he, as he points to the resurrection and Jesus' defeat over death. And so let's enter into John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, uh, or the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, a story that's going to happen in the next chapter. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory 
so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now as we get to the opening of the story, Jesus does some very non-normal things. He finds out that his loved one is sick, and so he stays for two more days. He doesn't jump on the plane to get there. He doesn't head over to be with his loved one. He stays where he's at. He just stays put for another two days. And so instead of hitting the road and quickly going there, he just decides to spend a couple more days where he's at. Jesus does not seem to be at all concerned with what's happening to Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, and Jesus is not really all that concerned. But Jesus does say something, similar to the story of the blind man who was born blind. He says that there's a reason for this. There's a reason that Lazarus is sick. God is going to be glorified through this. And so in this moment, Jesus already knows that there is something else going on here. There is a bigger plan going on, and God is going to be glorified through this process. And so he holds back for a couple days. And even though returning makes the most sense, it's still a very difficult decision that he has to make because a return back there is a place where people are trying to kill him. It's a place that has threatened Jesus' own life. So his loved one is there, and he can go there, but he's going to a place where people have threatened his life. And the disciples are very quick to point that out. They say in verse 8, But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by, his, uh, by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him, finally. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Okay, so now we have another episode where the disciples are left scratching their head, confused at what in the world Jesus is talking about here. Daylight, nighttime, sleeping, waking, dead, alive. Like, what, what is happening here? And so their immediate concern is about their own physical safety and the safety of Jesus. And they're saying, why go back there? That's a place where we're going to die. And Jesus tries to explain to them what's going on here, but they still don't get it. But yet they still agree to go. They go and say, okay, well, we'll just die with him because they're walking into this trap of certain death. And so they proceed and go with Jesus. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. This is not a long trek. 
It didn't take a long time to get there. If you can walk two miles, you can get to Bethany. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Martha enters into this story. And she becomes the focal point of what Jesus is talking about here. More than Lazarus, Martha really becomes the main character, and it's all tucked away in the story of her brother Lazarus. And she is filled with grief. She's filled with disappointment. She's filled with longing for her brother. And in that overflowing of emotion, she confronts Jesus and asks him to do a miracle. She requests this of him and and asks that that he would move in a powerful way. In her grief, she knows that Jesus can do something. Maybe not sure what, but Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead. And I know that even though you're here now, you can do something incredible. And so she makes this statement of faith. She makes this statement about his ability, about Jesus' ability to ask God for whatever he wants. And Martha is open to whatever Jesus has to answer because Jesus is involved. She now knows that something is going to happen. She believes in the person of Jesus. And it's now in her time of loss, in her time of grief, that she is confronted with what she really believes about Jesus and the reality of who Jesus is. And the two are coming together. It's no longer this abstract belief about who Jesus is. The rubber meets the road. Does she believe in Jesus? He's now here. He's now present. Her brother is in the tomb. Will Jesus be who she thinks Jesus is? And in her hurt and in her loss, Martha makes this tremendous confession of faith. She declares this deep truth. At this moment, when she is heartbroken, she says, I believe you are the Christ. I believe. And so, once again, we have Jesus having this spiritual, theological conversation with a woman about belief. And she declares that she believes. And after this conversation of confession, it's then that she goes back and gets her sister. Verse 28. 
After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn. So this whole crowd gets up with Mary and heads out of the village to where Jesus is at. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she makes the same declaration. If you would have been here, something could have happened. You could have saved him. We've seen you heal others. You could have healed Lazarus, but now it's too late. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And so John writes a lot about the divinity of Jesus, but in this moment we see the humanity of Jesus, this emotion that he has, this feeling of grief. He's weeping for his friend. The crowd is watching Jesus' reaction. And some are admirers and some are critical. And they look at him and they're watching him to see what he's going to do and, and how he's going to behave in this moment. Verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. They admire him. See how much he loved him. Such a great emotion that Jesus has. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Why didn't you show up and help? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave where, this, where a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, I, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so Jesus is led to the tomb, and he does another very non-normal thing. He says, open the tomb. Now, you don't show up to a funeral four days late and ask them to open the casket. Not only is it impolite, but it's also just kind of gross. And he's saying, open it up. And they resist, and they say, no, you don't want to go in there. It's going to stink. But Jesus makes this request of them. 
And Martha herself, the one who said, I believe that you are the Christ, I believe that you have the power to do something, she's the one who's standing in front of the tomb and saying, no, you don't want to go in there. And so there is this crossroads that Martha gets to. She's pushing back against what Jesus is saying and requesting. But Jesus pushes back even more and said, I told you already. I told you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God break through today. I told you so. And here you are standing in the way of the glory of God. And so they open the tomb. They listen to what Jesus says. They push the stone back. And Jesus calls Lazarus out. I imagine that they looked around at each other as Jesus is calling them out, saying, open the tomb. And they're, they're looking at one another and saying, okay, are you going to push the stone away? Are you going to push the stone away? Who's going to do this? And eventually one of them does step up and they push the stone away. And they're all standing back, holding their noses, waiting to see what's going to happen next. And as they wait for Jesus to do something, the question remains, are we going to see a miracle today? Will Jesus make that shot into the corner pocket? Or is he going to embarrass himself? Is all of this just a show? Or is Jesus really going to do what he claims to do? Is he really going to be the Messiah, the Christ? He, will they move the stone or will they not? They finally move the stone and wait for Jesus to ask. Jesus has been talking about belief. Jesus has been talking about the resurrection. Jesus has been talking about the glory of God, what will happen next. Jesus talking about belief is one thing, but actually demonstrating that power here at an, at an open tomb with a stinking body, will it really happen? And so with one command, Lazarus emerges out of the darkness fully alive. Imagine the silenced crowd at that moment. As this man that they have known to be dead walks out of this tomb. Both those who admire Jesus and both those who are, are critical of Jesus, they witness this incredible act. But not everyone's reaction is the same. Because in the final verses of this chapter is where the plot to kill Jesus is formed. And it's at this time that, that Jesus ends his public ministry. This is a turning point in the story of Jesus. Because those who witness this cannot tolerate it and cannot accept it. And so they plot to kill him. This is the beginning of the end. And so as we, we look at this story for ourselves, we, we look at this character of Martha and, and we see this, this mirror of ourselves. Martha, who, who makes this incredible response to Jesus. 
We look at her response, and then we look at her hesitancy at the tomb, and, and we see ourselves in that, where we can verbalize a response of who Jesus is, but we're standing in front of that tomb, and now we're not quite as sure. We can't quite confidently declare that this is what Jesus is. She has this tremendous faith in this time of great hurt and grief, but will she really take Jesus for who he is? Will she really open up the tomb and let him do his thing? And so in a moment of crisis, where does your faith lie? When you get to those critical times, when you get to those uncertain times, when you get to that illness, that sickness, that death, when you get to those moments, where does your faith lie? We can say what we believe, but do you really believe it? Where the rubber meets the road, when we really have to face those difficult times head on. We face the critical situation, and Jesus asks, will you believe? Will you believe? Carson Reed, who has a sermon on chapter 11 here, says, We all reach a point when all that we know and all that we believe is simply not sufficient for the task of anchoring a life. Here comes Jesus who challenges us to look beyond the normal and embrace faith. The faith we embrace is not the content of faith. It is Jesus himself. And so we get to this crossroads. We get to this situation where all we think we believe about Jesus is now falling out from underneath us, and we come to Jesus, and will you believe in him? It's not the content of the faith, it's not the stories, it's not, it's not the lessons that you've learned, it's not the doctrines, it's not the beliefs, it's Jesus himself. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? The normal is, is Lazarus is dead. The normal is that it's all over. The normal is that there is no healing. The normal is keep the stone closed, he stinks. That's normal. But Jesus is not normal. He isn't, expect, he isn't expected. He isn't predictable. And that is where our faith lies. That's what we believe in. And that faith will change our lives. Gail O'Day says, Faith, therefore, is not assent to a series of faith statements but assent to the truth of Jesus' relationship with God and the decisive change that relationship means for the lives of those who believe. Believing in Jesus changes your life because we see the truth of who Jesus is and it's about Jesus' relationship with God and our relationship with him and that will transform us. Faith is the most non-normal thing you can do. It does not make any sense, but it is the only real option we have. We only have an option to believe. We listen to Jesus and we trust him and we're not normal because of it. And so Jesus does not have a normal relationship with death. 
In the raising of Lazarus, he shows that that he defeats death, and in doing so, he points to his own death. He points to, to his death and his defeat of that death and his own resurrection. And so in the story of Lazarus, we see the story of Jesus who enters into a tomb very much dead and comes out of that tomb very much alive. The Jesus that we believe in not only yells into a tomb and has a dead man walk out, he's also one that goes there himself and he gets up and he walks out of that tomb, leaving it empty. And this is where our hope is. This is what we believe in. This is Jesus. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is a prayer for us. As we wrestle with our belief, as we, as we look at this very non-normal Jesus. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is praying that Christians will know the power and the hope that comes from Jesus. He prays that this reality, this belief, will transform us. And it is through the resurrection that we will see the power of God. We will see the glory of God at work. And so Jesus carries this with him that day in Bethany. He's confident as he goes to the tomb, knowing what is going to happen, knowing that God is going to show up, knowing that God is the victor over death. Jesus understands this. He understands the power of God, and he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And so for us this morning, do you believe? Put yourself in the place of Martha. You're faced with a time of difficulty. You're in a critical crossroads. You find yourself in a situation where what you thought was normal is no longer normal. And in that moment, will you say, Jesus is the Christ? When faced with that situation, when faced with those crucial moments, will you believe in Jesus? Jesus is looking at them, and he's talking to them, and he says, now that, the, now that things are getting tough, are you going to believe or not? And so what do you do with Jesus today? Who is he? Let's be standing together. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. 
and that he died on a cross and was buried and was dead and is now very much alive, that that tomb is empty. And as we head into this season of, of moving towards Easter, we, we talk more and more about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Today, in chapter 11, this is the end of Jesus' public ministry. And so moving on from today, we start into a different narrative, a narrative that leads to the cross and a narrative that leads to an empty tomb as we work toward Easter. But for today, we see ourselves in the story of Lazarus. We see ourselves as Martha, one who believes in Jesus, but we face that difficult time and we hesitate for a moment. Are you going to open up the tomb because Jesus said so? And so maybe you have never declared publicly your belief in Jesus, and you want to do that this morning, and we would love to join with you in that confession this morning through baptism as you declare to, to your family here that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. For many of us, we have made that declaration before, but we need to renew it week after week, day after day, as we find ourselves in different situations. Do you believe in the Christ? And so this morning, we pray with one another, we encourage one another, we'll have shepherds down front. You can pray as families, as small groups, move, across, move around the room and find somebody to pray with. Encourage one another, remind one another that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. What do you believe in today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for this story and for the incredible work that you do. God, you are glorified through your son, Jesus. We see your awe-inspiring, indescribable presence through him and through his work, through his life and his death and his resurrection. God, we pray that we can believe at the very core of who we are that Jesus is the Messiah. It's in his name we pray, amen.